Presentations and meetings have gotten a bad rap. Enter books such as Death by PowerPoint and Death by Meetings. You may have been required to present to your direct management one-on-one for things such as formal reports or status updates. But did you know you're also presenting when you talk to your peers and your supervision? You might have heard the phrase, he presented himself to me as, or her presence was. I suggest we change some of the words around. Let's replace required to present with have the opportunity to present. Through today's episode, you'll have the ability to jumpstart your presentation skills and give them some new life. It's easier than you think, too. Please join me. It's a special day here at Career Growth Made Easy with yours truly, Craig Ansell. Our clock is ticking. You know what? We're approaching episode 100. It's going to be a truly, absolutely amazing experience, and I can't thank you, our valuable listeners, our dedicated listeners, for hanging on, getting up to episode 99. I promise we have some truly awesome surprises coming for 100 plus episodes, and you won't believe what's coming. But before we can get to episode 100, you guessed it, we got to knock episode 99 right out of the park. Let's get episode 99 into the airways for your listening and learning pleasure. I mentioned presentations and meetings can get a bad rap. There were books like Death by PowerPoint and Death by Meetings. That doesn't sound so appealing and so attractive, does it? In fact, I've only read one of them. Perhaps I read both. I just had to see what they were about. And really, it's about getting rid of the common problems we face when we present in meetings or using PowerPoint visual presentations. It doesn't have to be that software in itself, but PowerPoint was just well known for its use in visual uh, presentations and meetings. I mentioned you may have been required to present to your management, potentially one-on-one, for things like formal reports and status updates, but that you also present when you talk to your peers and other supervision. It doesn't necessarily have to be in a meeting or one-on-one. So I suggested, instead of using the word required, let's change it around. And let's say we change it to, you have the opportunity to present. That way, instead of feeling forced into a circumstance or situation, you're making a choice. Now I get it. I can kind of hear you over the microphone saying, Craig, look, I have a job, my, my, my scope of work, my notes for my position say that I have to do this. I get it. It truly is required. But what we do, if you've been listening for some time to Career Growth Made Easy podcast, what we do is change negative situations and negative circumstances around and make them more of a, I guess, an option, more of a choice in your mind choosing that you want to do it. I know, again, it's a play on words. They could be required, but the point being, think about them as opportunities. The difference is, instead of having to do it and just trudging along and knocking it out, having the opportunity means it's kind of like a uh, a situation where you have options, choices of how you can present. And with that comes the ability to learn and use your learnings to improve your situation. So let's get right into real-world situations. 
Let's say you need to pop by your supervisor or manager's office to provide a brief update. Here are some immediate tips to put into action that will help you deliver your message more effectively and be seen in a better light. Be aware of your environment, especially that with your supervisor. Have they recently been in a heated call? Could you overhear it? Maybe you sit in an office nearby or a cubicle nearby. Are they in a particularly bad mood? What if you know they're late for a meeting or you catch them as they're shuffling out of their office? Be aware of bad timing. What about the opportunity to know their schedule? Are all their days the same, Monday through Friday? Or are there worser, worser? <laughs> are there days that are worse than others? Sometimes they may have reports due, perhaps at the end of the week. Maybe they have heavy meeting days. Can you access their internal meetings calendar to see what options are available to see if there's an open block when you might be able to approach them at a better time? That tip, again, being aware of your environment, especially that of your supervisor. Just think before you go and speak to them about the message you're bringing and their availability and their mindset. Even though they're in leadership, they may not have the ability to totally clear their mind and clearly focus on you because they may have some emotional baggage from, again, a difficult call they just had or they're in a uh, bad mood for whatever reason, something personally that has happened. We're all human, right? Tip number two, if you're coming off of a heated call, a virtual meeting, or a scathing email, press the pause button. That's right, you heard me. Press the pause button. Rather than rocketing out of your chair, jumping up out of your cubicle or office, and going to fast track it straight to your supervisor's desk, head the opposite way and cool off. You heard me right. Head the opposite way and cool off. If you can, Take a walk around the block, your parking lot, or maybe just go down to the break room for a few minutes, perhaps grab a cool drink. Compose yourself. Tip number three. Here's a great tip in the form of a quote from a friend's father. You are what you report. I'll say that again. You are what you report. So let me clarify the meaning. Your body language, your word choice, your vocal tones, all contribute as to how you are perceived by others. Do you want to come across flustered, out of breath, nearly hyperventilating, or rather concerned while showing control of your message and seeking a peer review or leadership support? You truly have options when it comes to how you communicate, and that's part of today's show title, 10 Tips for Presenting at Work. Here's tip number four. If you're going to talk to management, don't bring problems only. Bring at least one solution. Bring one solution for each item or problem that you have. They'll likely turn the tables on you at one point or another in the conversation, even though you came to them for advice. I know the following line was handed to me more than once. Until I caught on, that is. I don't know, Craig. What do you think we should do? Honestly, I was kind of dumbfounded. Standing there in my supervisor's cubicle, I came to them actually with a heated discussion that had just taken place, and all I brought was the situation. I brought the problem. I didn't bring any solutions. I didn't think that far ahead. 
So be prepared when you bring problems, bring at least one solution for each problem. Even if your solution is not that good and you haven't thought it out well, come up with something. Not something silly, but something useful and constructive. Given time, if you sat down for a few more minutes or maybe if it's a complex problem, a few more hours, you could have come up with a couple ideas and maybe you wouldn't even have had the need to go to your supervisor or manager. So there's some food for thought there, kind of like a bonus tip. Tip five, after your mental break, go back to your chair and summarize your concerns. If your issue came from a virtual meeting or a call, unless it was recorded, you'll have to play it back in your head. But if it is recorded or it's textual based, such as in the form of a written letter or email, you can go back and review it again by rereading it. But in either case, Here's another great tip to help you out. Try to approach your problematic situation by removing the emotional words that came from the content. It's the emotional words that likely triggered you and got you spun up in the first place. If you can remove the emotional words, you'll be at the heart of the matter. Saying it differently, only factual data should be present. Now, if that factual data is incorrect biased, or simply misreported, then you can state your viewpoints and offer facts to support your statements, presenting your counterpoint. So up till now, the focus was on self-control and the benefits when approaching a peer or supervision at your job. But presenting at work can also take place in person, such as conference rooms, as well as virtually. Regardless if you're lugging your laptop to the conference room or conducting your meeting over the airwaves, it's important to be prepared. So our next tip, plan ahead. That means allowing plenty of time to prepare your content. Often, we leave big meetings and special projects to the end, avoiding them in a way. Now, the reason for this is that although we know they're very important, we prefer to do things that are easier or that we are more comfortable with. If you're scratching your head there, I know it sounds odd, but it's how the human brain works. If you start to think up something right now that pulls you out of your comfort zone, you'll likely ramp up on your adrenaline. That being out of your comfort zone could create fear, stress, anxiety, That all could be on the horizon. So think of speaking to a large crowd of hundreds of people, leading a meeting because your boss just had an emergency and you'll need to fill in, or maybe you're creating a status report on a big project which has dozens of moving pieces and it's all in a short timeline and needs to get done. I know emergencies happen, and yes, sometimes we have to fill in for other people, but generally speaking, when we can, we should plan ahead. And that means allowing plenty of time to complete our presentations. Don't let that fear of building that presentation, starting out with a blank screen, be what stops you from succeeding. Just start typing away. Start putting content together. It's better to have more and then scale it down to less. Speaking of scaling it down, you need to know your audience is our next tip. When putting your presentation together, Think about who's going to be in the meeting and the level of knowledge on the subject at hand. What do they know about that subject? You don't want to talk down to them, but at the same time, the use of complex words and technology may go right over their heads. 
Here's a little trick. I guess I'll call it another tip. Is to present your content at a fifth grade reading level. I don't mean to talk down to your audience, no. But rather, use short sentences. They're easier to digest along with shorter words. Longer sentences can can create complex messages, and they can cause even the smartest people to tune out and cause their brains to struggle to comprehend. There's an old acronym I'm suggesting, and it's called KISS. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. Now, no, I'm not calling you or your audience stupid. It's just a little way for us to remember things when we go about training and building our career growth Made easy toolkits. For our next tip, that leads me into acronyms. Always define acronyms. Never assume that your audience knows the meaning of that word or that acronym. I work in a large corporate structure, which is a Fortune 500 company, and as I approach 13 years of dedicated service, I've seen the same acronym mean three or maybe four different things in our company. It sounds strange, but let me explain. The acronym had one meeting in our field service group. Those are the folks that go out to the job sites and conduct the work. That same acronym had a different meaning in our engineering department. And finally, it meant something different to our office management in the financial leadership team. It's always best to define your acronyms and at their first use. Can you hear me emphasizing that? By the way, I'm a certified technical writer, and that last tip is a best practice. Over my years, I have peer-reviewed dozens of reports and presentation materials over a great span of different fields and different product lines. In a few cases, acronyms were defined, but not until the second, third, or later usage. Maybe they wrote the draft in a different sequence and then adjusted it for better content flow and missed the fact. I believe our brains play a fault in this as well. Not only are we using an acronym we know, so it's less likely we think we need to explain it or define it, because after all, we understand it, but that since we did define it once, it's like a box was checked in our heads, it's like the box was checked in our minds, and the story is closed. This action is complete. We overlook the fact that if the content gets resequenced, just because it's defined later on, we see it as done. It needs to be defined at first use. That leads me into another tip. Unclear messages can mentally disrupt your audience. They'll unknowingly stay on that area that they got confused on or that was unclear to them as you trek forward with your content. You may address their point via a question later at some future point, but they'll likely have lost connection between that content you're at presently and where they started to raise a question and had some confusion. If you've ever been in a presentation like that and you heard something that wasn't defined, an acronym, or there was a rather complex word or complex statement or sentence, you might find that your brain actually tunes out the audio of the presenter and goes back to reread that word, phrase, or sentence, trying to better understand it. It's human nature. Our brain was confused and wants to resolve the matter immediately. The unfortunate part, we're using so much brain power to do that, we might actually disconnect from the presentation at hand. So, 
If you agree with me on that one, you'll have a great memory of that going forward to make sure you have clear messages and do your best to minimize mentally disrupting your audience. For our last tip, it's keep your visual content clean and avoid overload. Have you ever been in a meeting and during the visual presentation, the host starts to apologize for certain slides being data heavy or too busy? When you look at the related slides, you'll likely see too many images, too much text, too many tables, charts, or graphs. This is usually accompanied by reduced font sizes in the text fields and in the tables, just in an effort to get all the content shown on one or more, sl- one or more slides. Here's a tip from my resume masterclass. Make sure you have adequate white space, meaning the areas on your visual presentation that are not consumed by text or graphics. It works for resumes, and it certainly does work for presentations. I'm a proud observer of that and witness to that truth. Think about the message you're speaking when you have a busy slide, like those mentioned earlier. How can you graphically display it, perhaps with a cutout or zoomed-in focus on only a portion of a chart, graph, or image to get your point across? As a bonus tip, I'll share something I'm seeing more often, especially when it comes to executive leadership presentations, the use of something called backup slides. If you're not familiar with what I said, don't worry, I'll help you out here. It's a simple answer, believe it or not. These are the slides that might have reference data that you may need to pull up if there's a call for clarification or support. They may be too busy or contain too much content to talk about, though, during the actual presentation. But it's good to include these in your show so that you know you did your homework or your due diligence, as it's called. Also, as time goes on, you may be asked for supporting content down the road, such as for an end-of-the-month meeting or report, end-of-quarter, or yearly report out. With these backup slides attached to your presentation, you'll be able to much more quickly recall your content, your references, and answer those detailed questions that arise. So, if you have busy slides, busy content, and you just feel it's overwhelming, forget about the message. Just take a look at your slide deck page through as you go along. And if it just stops and you're like, wow, that's really creative, but it's really colorful and just popping and all that sounds great, but how busy is it? That's really my question. If it's just overwhelming, it's likely overwhelming for your audience too. So try to minimize the use of combined text, graphics, charts, diagrams. If you do, use much more white space, larger fonts, perhaps with bullets to separate out your talking points, and then one chart, maybe two, or one or two visual examples per slide. If you have to reference any of the content within a graphic, chart, slide, table, I would recommend zooming it in so that you talk about that and then say, I have backup slides. If anyone's interested for further uh, details, we can talk after the meeting or you'll receive the backup slides with the presentation after the meeting. So today's show is amazing. It's episode 99, and it's coming to a close. It was 10 tips for presenting at work. I actually threw in some bonus tips, and I think you heard that towards the end. Hopefully, these tips will help you to present in person as well as in meetings, whether during conference room settings or virtually. 
I've been your host, Craig Hansel. Absolutely excited. I'm on the edge of my chair, honestly, celebrating because episode 99 has come to a close with some more great content for Career Growth Made Easy. You have no idea what we have in store coming up for episode 100 plus. Please make sure you're bookmarked, subscribed, connected to us, whatever it is you need to do on social media, your podcast, or YouTube, because we've got a lot of great stuff coming and you won't want to miss out. Thank you so much for being a valued subscriber of my show, Career Growth Made Easy, both on all major podcast networks and on YouTube as well. I humbly thank you and look forward to seeing you next week for our special 100th episode. God bless. Have a great week ahead.